Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to <laughs> Needs Some Introduction. Uh, so we are not, we didn't cancel the podcast or uh, we still I, I exist. Had, we still exist. We had emails from people somewhere like, did you stop the podcast or, <laughs> or is it just because there's nothing to watch TV right now? Or did something happen? Are you okay? Thank you so much for anybody who was concerned for our well-being. We are still around. <laughs> I, uh, was on vacation for two weeks and I also haven't published even longer than that because there was the 4th of July and some of those festivities. And actually, Sona and I did record a conversation, but I had a lot of work to do before I went on vacation. So I just didn't have time to edit it and publish it. So kind of just went and just disappeared for a few weeks. But we are back. And today, Sona and I will be discussing the first five. Sona, did you watch all five? I watched all five. Nice. The first five episodes of Hijack. A show that I binged, caught up on, by the way. I was a few episodes behind. I caught up on it on a flight on British Airways coming back to the United States. They won't show certain movies because it might be too right. upsetting. It's funny that they're allowing that. Oh, I downloaded it on my phone. Well, I, it, oh, I do not I do okay. not believe they had it on the... I didn't even check, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they did not have it on the available episodes. But they had a lot of available television. So that might be... It might have been, actually been on there. Um, Good I, foresight I on that, your part. You know, it's funny. I was planning to download it ahead of time, and then I didn't. And then when I was actually waiting in my layover in London on the Wi-Fi, I planned it all out <laughs> in the 11th hour. So I'm like, well, I'll need some stuff to watch on the plane. I also watched 65, which is very popular on Netflix right now, which was absolutely terrible. It's the science fiction film with Adam Driver. I do not know how Adam Driver made this film. It was like total amateur hour, but maybe I'll save that for another time. And Sona, in the past 24 hours, actually in the past less than 12 hours. I went last night to see Mission Impossible, the wow. part one. And then this morning, because it was the only screening that was available, I just saw three hours of Oppenheimer. I, You know what this reads like to me? You just spent two <laughs> weeks, every minute of two weeks with your family and you got home and you were like, I have to get the heck away from you people before I lose my mind. I will go see whatever is showing. <laughs> I definitely wanted to catch up on those films. You've been home for a day, man. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's not even like I was watching the hijack show or I've been wanting to watch the Soderbergh HBO show full circle. It's not even like I was watching them while I was on vacation. I literally watched everything on the flight and then immediately after arriving, I just basically 15 hours of binging content in the past. Though. But you don't you have jet lag? I mean, I don't want to detour us here, but you have no jet lag that you've been able to stay awake through all this? You know what? Amazingly, we arrived and that was basically like three o'clock in the morning, biologically on our clock versus the arrival here at night. And because it was basically like an extremely late night, I just basically slept and uh, I'm more, more or less been okay. Although I went to see Dead Reckoning last night after my daughter went to sleep and uh, the, that was so was a late show. And when I got to the theater, I'm like, I might have wanted to drink a cup of coffee before I came here. Because <laughs> like in my mind, it was like one o'clock in the morning and I was about to watch a three, two hour and 45 minute movie. But but it was exciting. More so I didn't, you. didn't fall asleep. Good for you. And then three hours of uh, Oppenheimer today. So quite a lot of content, very long movies, obviously. Everything's long nowadays. Don't get me started. And I have not seen Barbie, but I do plan to see it. And it just made an incredible $350 million over the weekend. It's an astound astonishing. Yes, uh, I love that. Success. And Oppenheimer, by the way, you know, uh, probably um, this uh, 
Oppenheimer Barbie face-off, this bizarre face-off that's been set up for months now, probably benefited even more from it. Uh, it. It had a huge opening weekend for this type of film. It's a bunch of people just talking in a room and it made like $200 million uh, or, you know, worldwide, that is, over the weekend, which is much bigger than anyone expected this film to make. So it's like pretty astonishing for both of those films, like really shows that there's some health Movies, People so. are doing that whole Barbenheimer thing, right? I've <laughs> so seen bizarre. them both. So, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you'd want to put yourself on that kind of roller coaster <laughs> right. mood wise, but it seems to work for them. I would recommend if you happen to want to do that, that I'd say do the Oppenheimer first, which is absolutely thrilling as filmmaking, but it's very dry. It's a lot of people mm. just talking in rooms. Like that's pretty much what it is. And to uh, Christopher Nolan's credit, he makes this utterly riveting and propulsive because but it's pure filmmaking like it's really just him using every tool in his toolbox to make this riveting he's made this analogy himself this is uh his jfk and i have issues with jfk maybe leaning into the conspiratorial mindset of america but from a filmmaking standpoint like using all the different film stocks and the intercutting of stories and jumping back and forward in time it makes what could be a very boring a film really exciting to watch and that's basically what Oppenheimer does, moving through time seamlessly as it explores his life and how it led to the A-bomb and everything that happened to him afterwards, which I was not aware of the post-A-bomb stuff, the controversies he was involved with. So it's incredibly well made. The last half hour doesn't really work for me, but the first two and a half hours are exceptionally, incredibly well done. The point being that go see Oppenheimer first. It gives you a lot to think about. It's very dry, but very intelligent and riveting. And then I would assume, I haven't seen Barbie yet, but I assume end it off with Barbie. I can't imagine going from Barbie and like, you know, laughing and this campy, candy colored feminist spectacle, which must be just a lot of fun, probably not trying to save the world and then going to have like a really, really dense, and, um, complex experience of Oppenheimer, uh, which we, uh, like literally at the, in, in his final moments, it, like worries for the, you know, the entire health of the human race. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right direction to see the, the, those films and maybe, maybe start with Oppenheimer and with Barbie and have like a, a meal and stuff in between. Don't just go back to back. I can't imagine that being <laughs> a fun way to watch those two films. So let's talk about Hijack. Oh, before I get to that, We'll save this for later on, but the Emmy nominations also came out. And there's also the Screen Actors Guild strike going on, which is Sona has like canceled everything I was planning to watch with it's you rough. over the course of the year. We'll just um, talk about season 817 of Big Brother. <laughs> we we might have to go and rewatch <laughs> old films that we haven't caught up on or maybe watch rewatch The Sopranos or something, which I think you've done before. Maybe something like that. Maybe a rewatch. Yeah, not a bad like. idea. But we will figure that out because there is still content for the next few months, and then it's going to get pretty slim. I mean, the uh, severance, which is probably what our fans have most likely been looking forward to the most for us to cover here, has been delayed indefinitely. And it was very close to completion. Ouch. So it's now it's been bumped to 2024, hopefully early 2024. I mean, it all depends on when this strike ends. And I mean, that there's a lot of ifs here, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But I did want to get your reaction to the emmy nominations because like almost everything that's been nominated was stuff we covered here on the podcast so i'd love yes, to get your saw that. rundown on who you would give the awards to because sona there will not be an emmy awards this year unless the strike the the writer strike ends because they will yeah. be writing the show obviously and of course if the actors are not going to show up then why even have the awards show uh so there probably will not be an awards show but maybe we can still announce or, or you know pick who, who our favorites were from all of that maybe next week that will be our conversation starter 
and uh, maybe just uh, catch up on the next episode of Hijack as well. And maybe do our Bluey conversation. Bluey just dropped its most recent batch of episodes. We've never really had an in-depth conversation about certain episodes because Bluey in general, I love, I adore across the Love it. And I really want to talk about the phenomena of it and how it's such a positive force in the world, which seems like an overstatement, but I don't think it is. But there are certain episodes that are deeply personal and moving to me. So I'd love to have a a comparison of those with you. Maybe that'll be something we just touch on uh, later in the week or next week as well. But for today, let's catch up on the first five episodes of Hijack, uh, Apple TV Plus thriller that is one of the popular shows of the summer, definitely has become a word of mouth hit. And this show is so bingeable, I think when the last episode comes out, when which is just two weeks away now, that it's going to have like a huge afterlife. I think people are going to want to binge this. I think it's going to be even bigger binge-wise than this week to week, which has already been pretty popular. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of frustrated that we didn't get to watch the whole thing at once. I kind of wish we had, almost wish we had waited another two weeks so we could see the resolution of it. But five episodes was good. I shouldn't complain. (laughs) We'll definitely come back for the finale. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to have this episode early to encourage people to start binging it or prepare to binge it. It's not one of the best shows of the year, I don't believe for a second. However, I would binge this thing in in a minute. Like The Night Agent on Netflix, which I didn't really like, was this huge binge phenomena. And I was like, really? I struggled to get through it. If this was a Netflix show that was available to binge, I would have binged this thing in one day. (laughs) Just binge through all of it. For sure. So before we get into details. And I have some questions for you about some of the really stupid, <laughs> maybe we can make a top five list of the stupidest choices the characters make over the oh course my of God. this, which I think is part of the pleasure of watching this. This is a beach read of a TV show. Like, you know, you Agreed. part of the pleasure. That's a great description. It's a perfect summer show. I think in that way, Apple's done a great job of positioning it, but let's have some general thoughts about it. And maybe we kick things off with what's your um, relationship with Idris Elba in general? I think he's such a magnetic presence on screen and he has been in so many huge films and of obviously in the wire as well, but he really mm-hmm. has never become like the A-list actor that he probably should be. So what, what, what did you think of, what do you think about him in general in this show? Do you have any kind of relationship with him in the past? It sounds like I, this is the time for me to disclose my secret past relationship with Idris Elba. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, unfortunately my life is not that exciting, but <laughs> Yeah, right. Like there's talk about how he should be the next James Bond. So I think there are a lot of Idris Elba super fans out there. I am not one of them, but I like him. I enjoy watching him. I don't think I'm at the point that I would seek things out because he's in them. Like, for example, he was in that British show Luther, right? Which I actually heard was amazing. And kind of in the back of my head has always been on my list of things to watch. But Maybe with a different actor, I would have prioritized it instead of like, it's just constantly on my list. Like, I like him. I hear it's good. I should watch it. But he doesn't compel me to go that extra step. But I have no problem with it, Elba. And I think he would make a good James Bond even. I think he's aged out of the James Bond thing, but he definitely mm, was maybe on the top of the list at one point. Have you ever seen Molly's Game? I haven't. He plays the lawyer in that who defends her. Is that the one about poker? Yes. Okay, the I've been Sorkin, meaning the, to watch uh, that. Yeah, and it's written by Aaron Sorkin and directed. Who I love, yeah. Yeah, that's why I thought you might have seen it. He is excellent in that. I think he should have gotten a supporting actor nomination that year. 
for that. Of course, incredible in the wire. Uh, I remember when I first saw him in the wire, I had no idea that he was not American. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, that's and I like would most say of that, the cast of the wire, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> The first time I probably saw him in anything was The Wire for sure. Luther, I think I was watching it on Netflix even back in the day. And I'm like, he's British? What do you mean? <laughs> What's that accent? <laughs> he's excellent in that. You definitely should catch up on uh, Luther if you haven't. Even at a movie, a recently a Luther movie, I think last year would. Maybe watching that would make me a super fan. It's possible. That's possible. I think if he's in something, I think that's a good thing. And I do like watching him. And I think he is, is great here. Character is making some questionable choices, but he's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before we get into the breakdown itself, I would say, like I said, this is a beach read. Don't analyze this too much. I actually think the oh show is pretty no. smart. It's actually pretty smart, I think. But do not think this is a realistic portrayal of how hijacking would go. And I think you'll enjoy this very much. That's why I think your characterization of it as a beach read is a good one. I'm not sure that's coming across in the marketing of it, though. Right. Yes. I think that is what it is. Here's what I'm worried about with this show, to use a plane analogy, landing the plane. I think they've right. done, the, the first few episodes were great at setting up yeah. this mm-hmm. situation, jacking up the tension. But then in the, the back half of these five, there was a lot of zany stuff happening. Yes. That, mm-hmm. that kind of made me question whether, like many shows and movies, unfortunately, they set up something really great, but then they don't really know how to resolve it in a satisfying manner. Some stuff that happened in these last couple of episodes was a little bit, made me roll my eyes a little bit. Uh, interesting. I, I think some of the more eye rolly stuff for me happens earlier. So I'm curious really? to get your opinion on that. To see, I mean, there's a lot of eye rolling in general, but I'm saying that I think that I, I'm more vibing with it now. I don't know if you had some sequential order, but I'll start with the fifth episode maybe this detective guy is a shady character. He's purposefully sabotaging things. But if he can't catch up to a woman in a bathrobe and slippers, I mean, yes. come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I have that one yet. I did have that written down. Yeah. Let, let's get let's work our way towards that one. But yes, okay. that was the, the biggest, uh, unbelievable, like, I mean, definitely I think like a- I could catch up to her. And I am not right. athletic by any yes. means. <laughs> agreed. That, I mean, not, not about that. I mean, agreed that it, it is. <laughs> no, the... <laughs> it's no offense taken. If you do agree, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love when there's like basically like five, assume, presumably fit cops running through the woods after her. <laughs> and she's shuffling along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's slippers through traffic. <laughs> so if that's not a clue enough to the audience, we are going to spoil the first five episodes of Hijack. Although at that point, what we just said really is not much of a spoiler out of context. Out of context, it means nothing. (laughs) So I did scrub through the five episodes, actually, right before I jumped on here with you. And I had some questions about some of the things you you see here. And I really wanted to go back to episode one because I wanted to see how we got introduced to the different passengers and hijackers because, and, and we'll get around to this, but in episode five, it seems to be that the hijackers have different levels of complicity here. Uh, or maybe none. Honestly, they may be victims in their own right. So I was curious to see what dynamic we see between the hijackers and also the dynamic we see between the passengers, because of course, that's also going to play out here um, throughout the course of the show in, in these last two episodes. Here's my first observation. When we see the lead hijacker's little brother, the brown-haired female hijacker, and they seem very flirtatious and actually surprisingly calm considering what's 
to come. So I do wonder how much they know about what's actually going to happen over the course of this flight. We see that Hawaiian shirt guy. We're just gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to name them through their costumes and the actors. <laughs> He's like being very chivalrous, helping the girls put their bags on the plane. He seems to know what is to come for sure. We also have that obnoxious guy who's going to be sitting next to Idris throughout the flight, who's playing his games at full volume. I do like the way there's a shorthand of the type of obnoxious passengers that you have on a plane. Really interestingly, in episode one, while you're seeing everybody get on a plane, because you know there's going to be hijacking, obviously, it's writing the title. And then you're like, God, I hate all these people already, which is how you feel on a plane <laughs> oftentimes. Not the worst you know? situation for these people to be in. We could spare them. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Something that hasn't paid off yet is the reverend is sitting with his wife. He tries to buy his way into first class. Yeah. And they reject him there. But more importantly, when his wife turns around and there is a younger guy sitting diagonally from them and he has like tattoos on his arm and he's saying, do you need some medication love or do you need a pill love or something like that? So that's her yes. son or something. And she like kind of shakes her head like, no, don't, don't patronize me or something. And of course, the reverend has also said that she's a nervous flyer. That hasn't paid off yet, though, uh, although we're getting mm -hmm. pretty close to the end. So surprising that that is kind of they make a thing of it early show, I should say. Another very interesting point here is, of course, that there's that late arrival, that guy with the yes. brown curly hair. Idris Elba, speaking of bad decision number one, probably, he goes, come yes. on, let him on the plane. What's the worst that could happen? He's <laughs> the guy who's smuggling the guns onto the plane. Terrific. Thanks a lot, Idris. <laughs> Then there's those two older guys who want to charge the attackers. Uh, they actually get caught in episode two. And then, of course, maybe the biggest thing that happens in episode one is that whole question, and maybe here's another stop point in our conversation, to open the cockpit or not, and the whole relationship between the pilot, the co-pilot, and the stewardess here. Okay, now I thought you were going to tell me that the question is, does your overhead compartment belong to you or to anybody? Oh, yes. That's a, that's a <laughs> contentious question. <laughs> You do know when you have children, you should get extra. <laughs> you know, this is the sole reason that I insist on getting on the plane as soon as I am allowed to yes, get on the plane is so that I can claim the overhead compartment. Because for anyone with kids, you're best off getting on that plane at the last possible second. Yep, exactly. I mean, unless you have an infant and you need to get settled. But the only reason I'm there is to claim my space in the overhead because it gets too cutthroat. I got to tell you, I always liked the fact when Charlotte was under five <clears throat> that um you could, you get like that special boarding because yep. I really liked getting in there, putting yes, the bags in the overhead. In. Yes. We literally had this uh, incredible, <laughs> these group of older people, sorry, older audience, <laughs> that uh, it's not everybody, <laughs> not all older people. They basically would not let anybody else board. They were like in the aisle. They were complaining about the leg room on and like we were just trying to board this plane and they were blocking both aisles because they kind of spanned the plane oh my gosh and they were just trying to change seats and these seats are too narrow can we have other seats and it was just like this oh incredible gosh. and then they started saying we're gonna write negative reviews for british airways trying to make like a big scene as if they would somehow get like automatically upgraded to up first class or something oh my gosh and i'm just like i'm just trying to get to my seat can we just get and like where everybody's it's it was insane I mean, the real stress of it to me now, and this is a whole other tangent, but, you know, they go so quickly to like all the over, overhead space is full. We'll need to gate check yep. your bag. If yep. I, you know, I honestly don't care if my bag is five rows away from me. That's fine. 
but gate checking it, like sometimes I have yeah. stuff in there that I want with me in case I need it. And, you know, so it's the stress of like, if I don't get claim that space in time, they're going to tell me there's no room and they're going to have to gate check my bag. Even though more than once I have said, I'm just going to check and I'll come back if there's no room and there is room for my bag. So it's exhausting. And honestly, the flight back was actually okay. But now I can just digress on air travel in general. <laughs> Which is miserable. We all know. Exactly. It's oh, it's the worst. And the, our flight there was the same length as this one. And we had actually a shorter layover. Heathrow is excruciating to get through. It took us an hour to find our gate. Like, I mean, not that we had trouble finding it. It's like you have to take a bus. And then you have to take a train oh, the to the worst, other terminal. When you have to take some <sighs> other form of transportation to get to the another worst. part of the airport. Planes, Ugh. trains, and automobiles, like within a five-minute period. I was like, worst. I cannot do this. Now I'm starting to sympathize with people who like as you get older, you're like, I can't do <laughs> I can't do this travel anymore. It's like too much. Honestly, yesterday, this is really a complete tangent. Um, I told Joel, I just can't go to MetLife Stadium anymore. I can't do it. It's too <laughs> yes. much. It's so miserable. The trip to get there is so miserable. I don't care who's playing there at this point. I'm just going to have to live without seeing them because they have made certain things so miserable in this life that it's just not worth it. Everything gets worse over time, <laughs> or at least our really? perception. I used to go to Giant Stadium back in the day. It did not used to be this bad. Now it's like, oh, I need to be at Giant Stadium at five o'clock. I guess we'll leave it too. <laughs> Three hour commute. It's, it's, it's the worst, but we're really Everything off track seems now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do not think if you're a family, you get extra overhead space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. True. But that is, yes, that is an incredibly annoying character, by the way. Who She's so annoying. Oh yes. my gosh. There is a little more sympathy for her now. I mean, she does feel some human guilt for yes. what's happened. I think this is intentional in the show. It really wants to be like, which one of these people is your worst type of traveler the person who is playing the video games like with the volume all the way up next to you it's like there are headphones for a reason people don't you have airpods put them in and then of course she is like a combination of all these people like uh, you know overhead compartment nazi the obnoxious kids the kids playing loudly on their game devices and the person who's like entitled because they are parents like she's a combination of they wrapped them all together <laughs> so you know that she's going to end up being the hero of the whole show <laughs> my Maybe. prediction she's the one who saves everybody at the end somehow oh but going back to my other existential question of this whole thing the pilot do you open the cockpit or not oh my gosh i don't think you can open that door you're not supposed to that's for sure i guess he really does love that lady but still i think that they are trained that you cannot let anyone in under any circumstances i think it's almost like a quasi-military type of decision making you know you're trying to think of the greater good and you don't right. get your personal life involved in that. I actually was kind of annoyed by this, but in a realistic way, I think people make terrible decisions. That's what happens anyway. So I wasn't, it didn't bump against me or I didn't bump against it, but there was some chatter on the internet after this episode came out and people were like, after 9-11, they are trained to not open the cockpits. Like, you know, as if like, yeah, no, duh, you don't open the cockpits. I don't think the show is trying to say that he's like, you know, you no. probably get any kind of protocol. You know? The point is that people are human, right? And right, exactly. they're going to make decisions that are not what they are supposed to be because those human things get in the way. I think everybody in the audience is probably really annoyed by him opening the cockpit here. 
And then later on, he's pretty smart and he's kind of on, you know, we're rooting for him in different states later on, you know? So I think that very intentionally, they're trying to give us very complicated feelings about all these people. Like we kind of stereotype them at the beginning and then we have to kind of reassess those. So I think the show is, like I said, it's a dumb show, but it's actually smart. (laughs) This is kind of the smart part about it in it's not making us hate the characters. You know, like sometimes you watch these Netflix shows or just where you're supposed to like, as if we love these characters. And we're like, I don't like this character at all. <laughs> I, I'm kind of watching yes. this to watch him fail. In this case, the show very much is playing with our, uh, you know, reactions to the to these characters. And to your point, I think this is a terrible decision because if the plane goes down, if that's what you actually think might be happening in this circumstance, you're risking everybody's lives, including this person that you supposedly are trying to rescue. But, you know, obviously, you know, she has a gun to her head and, you know, you get emotional about that. And if the flight continues, there's still another opportunity to save her life. But his horrible beating of the co-pilot does not make you sympathetic towards this guy at all at this moment. True. But okay, let's think it through. What happens if he doesn't open the door? What would that course of events have been? They would have seen that there is a security breach, that there's a hijacking. They tell them that there's a hijacking, then what? I mean, theoretically, they could shoot the girl, but then why would they do that, honestly? Because it's obviously they don't have the ability of getting into the cockpit at that point. And right, and at that point, actually gets- he's not going to open the door then. The worst has already happened. Right, and once someone actually does get shot, then the passengers will rebel. I think this is absolutely strategically a horrible decision on the part of the pilot, for sure. Because these hijackers will either be killed or restrained by the passengers, and now they're wanted for murder, not for hijacking, because they murdered somebody, right? And there's no escape from where they are. Like They are trapped on the plane with these passengers. So Possibly it works out worse for the passengers if he doesn't open the door, because maybe they just start killing them one by one to try and give him pressure to open the door. True, but you would assume that the number of passengers on the plane, once they start to go one by one, picking them off, then I think at that point, people are going to turn on them because they're like, well, I'm I'm not going to sit here and wait to be killed. I mean, at least going to try to fight back. I mean, I think it's an unknown. Yes, it's the wrong decision. I'm not sure if it actually ends up in a worse outcome than what they have. One thing that is such a head scratcher on this show, and once again, in a very entertaining way to play out some of these scenarios, is that Idris, uh, you know, Sam Nelson, is that his name? I don't remember yeah. his character's name, who's like so smart at gaming all these things out. He's miscalculated many times here because the simple fact is so many times at this moment, they're all have blanks loaded in those guns. This is a complete moot point, right? Like if they were push come to shove, prove to me that you have a uh, loaded weapon, they'll have. No uh, bullets in those guns, right? So they could easily be overpowered by the passengers, something which, of course, they do not know. But it would have to be all however many of them at once, because all it takes is one person to go get the actual bullets. Right, right. I mean, but he'd need the time to load the gun, too. So that would be a... um, Yeah, I think that that's kind of what is interesting about the show is almost going back and replaying out these different scenarios and wondering. Because what seems like the smart move at the moment, intentionally, the show kind of reverts later on, inverts later on your expectations on it or or your interpretation of it in some ways. So I have a question here. So the Dubai security woman, we see her get this call. She's very frazzled. She's getting a call, I believe, from her husband. Uh, her son is screaming on the phone. 
saying that she needs to come home right away, say you're sick and just come home right away. They want you here. So she obviously has been co-opted into allowing the guns to be smuggled onto the plane. That's how they've gotten on there. Maybe they just don't want to have her as a loose end because if she can somehow get a signal out to somebody, it would raise an alarm. What? What? How do you read these? I think the plot construction of this, like the payoff was very far from the actual thing happening, right? Like I, for a couple of episodes, I was struggling with, well, why did that happen? Knowing how they end out. But I think in the end, it all comes together with the lady in the bathrobe talking about what type of people they are and what they do to right. you and your families and how, yeah, they don't want to leave any loose ends. So I guess the idea was that they're going to figure out that she was involved. Now that she served their purpose to them, they have to get rid of her and her whole family. Yeah. And they have this like cleaning crew going around who yes. are like killing these people off and, you know, disposing of them and really not even... Uh, disposing of them in a way where they leave no clues. They just have to be like one step ahead of everybody. <laughs> That's as far as their concern is. I mean, I just felt that for me, like I personally, I was very interested in that character. So yeah. I continued to wonder like, why is this happening? I don't understand, you know? So I wish that that resolution explanation had come a little bit sooner because it yeah. was starting mm -hmm. to feel a little bit like a loose end, but I am happy they did tie it up. At the end of episode one, Idris tells and reveals the fact that he is this negotiator. And according to his ex-wife, he's the best at handling these type of high stress situations. But given even some of his early decisions, I'm like, is he? Is he, is he? Is he really? <laughs> is he really? <laughs> Maybe he's a little overpaid. I have some questions about the field that Sam is in and what kind of competition he has. Because, right. yeah, some real missteps here. I mean, as we discussed, he's very charismatic. So maybe that's what's carrying him. No one notices that he's not that great at his job because they just enjoy him. <laughs> right. Speaking of, so at the beginning of episode two, there is those two older guys who want to like make a run forward, want to attack one of the um, hijackers, gets restrained. During this scuffle, they lose one of the guns. The head hijacker loses his gun. Idris, Sam Nelson, picks up the gun. And gives it back to this guy. Once again, speaking of, you know, armchair quarterbacking this show, which I think, once again, it's not stupid. The show is intentionally wanting us to play these things out. This is a terrible decision on his part. He has the gun in his hands. If he was a little more, you know, savvy about these type of things, which he obviously is not. He's, he's not a hijack negotiator. He's a business negotiator. He could check that, see that these bullets are blanks. And in his rationale, I'm assuming he's pulling this gun on the guy saying, what am I going to do in this moment? Even if I hold the gun on this guy, I'm outnumbered. If I shoot him, then they shoot me and yada, yada, yada. Right. So I can understand that that's his rationale. But of course, no one at that moment can pull the trigger because they would reveal the fact that they have this, you know, un they have uh, blanks in the guns, which of course will make them, you know, basically attacked, swarmed by the passengers at that moment. So what's interesting there is that he once again makes a terrible decision in handing the gun back to the hijacker. I agree. But I guess, like the other decision, did it matter? Because right. he probably right. wouldn't have fired the gun for fear of damaging the aircraft or right. just getting shot himself. So maybe even though it was a bad decision, again, there was no real repercussion from it. But you don't know that at the time, right? right. Again, like exactly. it's like the other decision. Like it's still the wrong decision in that moment. Yeah, this is the pleasure of watching the show, honestly, is the fact that moment to moment, you're like, he's making the wrong decision. And then later on, you're like, he made the right decision. 
you know, in, in the fact that, for example, he would be shot by these other terrorists potentially. And then it's like, oh no, he did the wrong decision. They were blanks. And then we get to episode five, which, you know, I keep jumping back to because it's such a, a key moment. But then you realize that like, no, this is all way, way bigger than what's happening on this plane. So, and these people are probably just puppets blackmailed into the circumstance. And like, if you want to protect your family, for example, like these cleaners are going to come to kill your family anyway. Right. So it's like, you're going to end up dead and they're going to end up dead anyways. So he still wouldn't have changed any of the circumstances around any of this. We can just go back to a couple of random moments. Yeah. Also, what a banana's decision for the terrorists to decide to coordinate their wash bags. <laughs> yes. Like, why would you do that? It's just calling attention to the whole situation, right. which he True. very observantly noticed. But me, as someone who loves free stuff, if I was sitting in business <laughs> class, I would also be like, where's my free stuff? I paid for this seat. I want all the free stuff that comes with it. Also, get me a Bloody Mary, please. <laughs> also, what is going on with him and his wife? Like, I thought they were just on yes. the outs with those right. texts, the text chain. But like, she's fully living with another man. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's not just like we had a spat and she's really mad at me. That's like this relationship has ended and she has moved on. Pretty necklace is not going to fix this, Idris. I mean, I think there's more to that story, but absolutely. Where yes, he, and also just the text exchange itself. Good point. You circle back to that. He's cleverly, this is something very clever that he does, which does alert the ground folks yes. that there is, he gets a, a message out because he smartly realizes that why are they so concerned with the getting the mobile devices if Wi-Fi is truly deactivated? And we do find out that the Wi-Fi is active because that's how they're communicating with whoever is puppeting them. But he says, oh, I don't have my phone. They moved me over here. My phone's actually in my seat. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. And then he gets, he sneaks out that message just in that window of time when the Wi-Fi is on and then- Super smart. Like, definitely, I had, I was rooting for him at that point going like, oh, really smart move. <laughs> we thought he would continue to make smart decisions. <laughs> yeah, then he started making some kind of <laughs> shakier conversations. But I do, it, it does make you wonder, even all the way back in episode one, where his allegiances lie, because he's saying, I just want to get back to my family. I do wonder if he is 100% committed to like saving the plane, or if he really is just like, hey, you know, push, push comes to shove, I'll side with the terrorists that get off this plane and see my family again. We don't know enough about him to see if he's just a, a good guy, quote unquote, or if he's just really out for himself. Those two things seem to have we ever be... seen Idris Elba play a bad guy though. Well, he was the, wire. the bad guy in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> he was the bad guy, perhaps. I and, don't and know what wire, that too. is, but, <laughs> but in the wire, it was, that, sure. it was that Fast and Furious spinoff a few years ago. Uh, but the wire also was people are yes. multidimensional. <laughs> he wanted to go to college, he wanted to go legit. This is a very dated reference. But like, do you remember there was this one movie where Alan Alda was the murderer and it was really <laughs> yes. upsetting because yes. Alan Alda is so likable and he would never do something like that. I feel like Idris Elba has some of that cachet. So I'm bringing that bias into it. Oh my God, that Alan Alda erotic thriller you're talking about <laughs> is one of the most bananas. Oh my God. <laughs> God, I hope, yes. I mean, we maybe we, you know, Karina, I, I've mentioned this before that on the You Must Remember This podcast, Karina Longworth has been covering the erotic 80s and now she's in the middle of the erotic 90s. And it's, you know, really incredible podcast. If anybody hasn't listened to that, definitely check it out. But I think she's past that moment when that movie came out. 
God, I would love to hear her cover that film. I guess it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't have any kind of cultural. What a bananas movie that was. Oh my God, so bananas. Uh, I, now I have to go, I'm going to try to watch it this week <laughs> just to remember because it was, it's, it's really batshit. You and I haven't talked in a while. I'm just getting so off track. I need to stay more focused. I'm sorry. I will, I will do better. But my point being, I am so biased towards Idris Elba being a good guy that I could only assume he's acting for the greater good in a noble way. I would assume so too. I think that in in his heart of hearts, I mean, push come to shove, he'll be the sole survivor of the flight. But I think he really wants to make sure everybody gets off that flight. Yeah. If I had to guess. Same. We barely talked about that, but you're right. Like there's this whole side story going on. Once again, very interesting that they are showing the people on the ground being activated. Those people are annoying me too. <laughs> Introduced here in episode two. <laughs> I mean, this is really where this story expands uh, beyond the people on, on the plane. Maybe the hero of this whole thing is this air traffic controller who's this frazzled mom who yes. is late again. She's trying to use her son as an excuse for being late again. For her job, but she seems to be the smartest person there. And I do love this. This is a very British thing, especially in spy shows where they make fun of bureaucracy in general, where like no one ever wants to like put their neck out. And I like the fact that mm -hmm. she's like, what's going on with this plane? And everybody's just like, eh, yeah, you know, they, 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 said, radioed, it they said it was a hijacking. <laughs> then they said it was confirmed as a hijacking. Uh, and then they said, it's okay. So it's okay. And like, oh, can we talk to them? Nah, they turned off all communication. I'm like, what are you talking about? How is this not raising alarm bells? It's like crazy. And they just chalk up, the show in general just chalks it up to like, you know, bureaucracy. Nobody really wants to be there. Everybody's just playing solitaire, hoping the plane doesn't crash. She needs to work more on her white lies, though, going with the son's yeah. appendix. And then as he reminds her, he already had his appendix out. Yeah, they're yeah. here, according to her. I mean, why not a stomach bug? We all know kids get stomach yeah. bugs. Like, you know, That's just scale it down. Too. So Idris also seems to be, you know, he's earned some goodwill with the terrorists and he tells them, you know what? The plane can autopilot itself most of the way. You got to get that pilot out of there. He's a wild card. We don't know where his, you know, what his next move might be. And all of that is a ploy to get him out so that he can start chatting with him on the game console, which I thought was a very, another really clever way to so communicate clever. on the plane. I thought that was really smart. Very smart. I agree. And then he kind of negotiates with the pilot, knowing that the pilot informs him that, you know, he's going to have to radio every time they cross uh, mm -hmm. into a new country, country they're going to have yeah. to do a vo vocal confirmation, and that he's going to slightly change the course of the plane, which is another secret way of signaling that something's going on. Ironic, not, not ironic, but very, you know, maybe <laughs> like I love these dunderheaded decisions that these characters have. The people outside of the plane basically just don't want to acknowledge this is happening, even though it's completely obvious for quite some time. Although this is happening, the whole show is only seven hours long. So this is happening very quickly when you think about it. One thing I thought was interesting is, right, it's a seven episode show. There's right. seven hours in this right. trip. So I guess they're trying to keep it somewhat tracking in like a real time kind of concept. Yeah, I should have uh, kind of prefaced the whole show with that. Absolutely. That you're correct, that it is seven episodes for a seven hour flight. And I actually thought they were going to pull a fast one on us uh, this week by putting the plane down and then maybe having th some of the episodes happen off the plane. But now they're back on their original trajectory. So it is going to be like the plane is basically going to be touching down <laughs> just as the series ends. So right. I am curious to know, considering some of the things that are happening outside of the scope of the plane, how some of those events are going to play out. And, and maybe that's why you still have some skepticism as to whether they can pull it off. I have still have confidence in what they're plotting out here, but it remains to be seen. 
I find it funny that the pilot has now changed course. And once again, this very smart air traffic mm-hmm. controller is saying, look, now it's doing this zigzag pattern, which is another signal for this. And some people are still just like, come on. <laughs> like, so she's the only one that's still trying to raise alarms here. She does unfortunately convince this Dubai air traffic controller. By the way, our mutual friend, Chris, was watching this show and texting me. And I had already watched ahead of him. And he's like, that's my boy. He's like the Sherlock Holmes in this whole show. Uh, and of course, I had already seen past that episode. I'm like, well, <laughs> don't get too attached. Oh boy. But that is a little surprising, right? That he ends up getting killed uh, in that same house where the cleaners are because he seems so clever. He seems to be uncovering these things, unwinding it. It's his birthday. It. You, it's his birthday. Yeah. And you really feel like it is setting it up, right? That he's going to be him and the mm-hmm. British uh, air traffic controller almost going to be working this investigation from different sides and start to unravel this case. And of course, no, they they kill him off right there at the end of uh, episode two. A little dumb, don't you think that he's just like, oh, they're upstairs. <laughs> this kind of very questionable, these non-Middle Eastern guys, they're cleaning up the house. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me go check upstairs. <laughs> I don't know if I would have made that decision that he made. I would think I would have been like, you know what? Let me just step outside for a minute and- uh, And regroup, yeah. Make a phone call or something, yeah. And that's how episode two wraps up. Episode three basically is uh, just trying to figure out whether these guys have fake bullets in their guns or not. <laughs> That's pretty much the entire <laughs> plot of episode three. There's also those um, Saudi, I believe, um, group of men. One is having like a going into diabetic shock. Yes. Importantly, during one of the scuffles, one of those small scissors that have fallen out one of their uh, bags, he actually accidentally or intentionally stabs the younger brother uh, with That's the scissors. some serious damage. Yeah, exactly. He punctured his lung uh, or I don't know what he did. He's bleeding out. So much injured. blood severely. He's not even sure how he got injured. And you can imagine something like that, you know, it's such a small scissor that it could be like, you know, you don't even know when it happened. And then of course you find out like, oh, I have something over here. Oh my God, I'm bleeding like crazy. And that of course sets up things for um, episode four. Did I miss anything in three? There's That's pretty much what happens. In, uh... Is that where the girl gets lost for a minute in episode three? I think that's when it starts. Yes. I thought that was very well done. Actually, that chaos of looking for someone in that moment that like, yes. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, maybe you're a more capable parent than I am, but sometimes you <laughs> lose track for, of your child for just a few seconds and you start to feel that panic of like, oh crap, where did they go? Unlikable as that woman is, the mother. I did right. relate to her panic of like being in this very stressful life-threatening situation and not being able to find your child, even though it's ridiculous that you can't find your child on a plane. Like I thought it just conveyed the chaotic nature of the moment very well. And you're absolutely correct, by the way, that this is the episode when it happens, because this is the episode that ends with the cliffhanger gunshot, right? Idris Elba, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I keep calling him Idris, Idris Elba tells the Hawaiian shirt guy, I don't believe you have bullets in your gun, pull the trigger basically, if you have it. And that's when we hear the gunshot go off in the final moments. Speaking of the missing girl, this is that other woman that has been squabbling with the mom, Mm -hmm, looking mm -hmm. for the little girl and being shocked by um, the the lead hijacker, who we've seen is starting to panic and has put live rounds into the gun over the course of this episode. Big miscalculation number one from Sam, I think. I mean, big, you know, maybe some minor things that like, I wouldn't have done it with the gun. But to me, this was like a huge miscalculation, which... To me, as a viewer, I did not feel confident with the idea that every gun that every person had would be filled with blanks. 
And I mean, that did end up being the situation in a different way that some people had blanks and some people had real bullets. <clears throat> My guess would have been from the start rather than replacing them. Why put any bullets at all then if you're not going to have real ones? I don't know. I guess you could just fire them into the air, but on a plane, that's not that much room. Yeah, but, you probably, and people would see that there were no. Um, yeah. So it seems to me like why even bother? But you know, it just seemed like a, a huge gamble based on the information they had, which is, you know, a 16-year-old's recollection of something that she didn't know she was supposed to be paying attention to at the time. In his defense, by the way, he is against them making a move. It's the other passenger who says they don't use live rounds when they do. It's true. And then I was that, surprised that they won him over to it. They get the whole you know, crew involved, they decide to start distributing water to calm everybody down, which is probably a good piece of advice in general to normalize as much as possible. But of course, they're using that as an excuse to get the drawing to the girl so they can kind of say whether they tell one or the other. I completely agree that even if she says, I'm confident that's it. I'm like, am I going to be that confident about that? That's quite a risk mm -hmm. to take. It, he's actually trying to assuage them a little bit because that guy, the obnoxious guy with the video game console earlier, well, if they got blanks, well, then let's make a move. Yeah. And of course, when push comes to shove, he's like, okay, you come with me. And he's like, I'm not getting out of my seat. <laughs> he's the first one <laughs> to say we dangerous. should make a move. But I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit right here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's just another jerky move on that guy's part. Like, So I wonder if there'll be any kind of um, rehabilitation of him before the, the show is up. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that everybody in business class or first class or whatever that was, when they heard the gunshot go off, they assumed that Sam is the one that got shot. I would think that they were grieving him for that time in between <laughs> right. when he left and he returns. <laughs> yeah, he seems consistently out of his seat. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is one of the person. things we need to talk about. It's like he's just <laughs> roaming around the plane. In the last right. episode, he's chilling out in the cockpit with the rest of yes. the hijackers. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Also um, ridiculous here, you pointed it out already, but like the idea that this kid wandered off, first of all, how does your kid wander off in this circumstance? Like, what are you doing? Yes. How did you not notice that? Even if they crawled past your feet, like how distracted were you? Were you like so engrossed in the movie you were watching? There are literally hijackers walking up and down the aisles and you're just kind of like distracted. You can keep an eye on your kid. And then of course, even when the kid is uh, out there and you're like saying, oh my God, my daughter, where is she? Where is she? Everybody on the plane would immediately be like, there's this little girl out here. Like, where could she have possibly been hiding? Like, is she playing hide and seek? Like, what is happening? It makes it's, no it's, sense. This is an interesting twist here that, you know, this is an idea that there's bullets only if necessary. But to your point, you could imagine, like, obviously, the hijackers, the people who are coordinating this probably don't want someone being a hothead and shooting out a window of a plane and then taking the plane down early because then they have no leverage if the plane's out of the sky. That's the whole point of like having this hijacking in the first place. So they obviously don't want that to happen. But to your point, how do you know that everybody else has blanks and one guy who they trust does have live rounds, right? And it's basically what ends up happening, right? You have one person who can get their hands on live rounds. So it's a big risk. Like you said, even if you could prove that gun has blanks in it, right. there's a lot of uh, unknowns still. So that's in episode four. We find out that, you know, they've used these uh, bullets. This has actually made the crowd a little more docile, but he is pretty cold blooded here. This person who you assume is not a murderer. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a very cold calculated <laughs> reaction to murdering someone in cold blood. And of course the little brother is, starts to bleed out. Idris Elba has been like now. Uh, Zip tied to the, yeah. But he gets himself out because he decides to befriend the little brother. He gets a very important clue here in sending out a voice me message uh, with the phone number, which of course leads to 
the old woman in the slippers. <laughs> we'll talk about in a few minutes. Her, his mom, and of course, in referring to her as mom, he also susses out the fact that the head hijacker is also his big brother. And of course, they are crossed into Turkey, right? And they're about to be shot down when they get that message. They realize these are not international terrorists who are trying to target a Turkish target. These are British nationals. And the Turks decide to not shoot down the plane. Based on this fact, I, once again, am not sure I would have not shut down the plane if I were the Turks because they are flying right over our capital. And who cares if they're British nationals? What, what if they're like, who knows? Maybe they're... Uh, um, you know, white nationalists or something. Who knows? Who knows what they're- Well, wasn't it NATO? I think it was NATO. And I think that's the reason. Oh, these were NATO planes. Right. Yes. But still, I guess they just are afraid of an international incident, but still, they're about to fly over the Capitol. Are you so sure these people, just because their mom is, uh, you know, a UK citizen, do you think that that is enough evidence to, that this is not some kind of threat? I guess they would- know when, if the plane was actually making a descent. So they still have time rather than shooting the thing down right away. So I'll give it a pass on this, but it seems a little sketchy. I'm not sure I understand the whole concept of this hijacking to begin with, which is that they want the plane to land at Heathrow where it's supposed to go. Right. So why did any of this, I understand that he ended up being onto them. So they had to start a lot earlier than they had expected to. But right. why not start this on like uh, 20 minutes before descent? At the end of this episode, we'll probably just jump to the end here because I think that covers most of the main plot beats here. They get the ransom demand at the end of this fourth uh, yes. episode, which is, I guess, four hours into the flight. So, so theoretically, there wouldn't have been all this like sketchiness with crossing these borders and all of that. They That's would have true. done the ransom demands. The plane would have been over Denmark, I guess, at that point, and then probably assume there's going to be like an hour of the investigating. Is this for real? What's going on? Can we radio the plane? Theoretically, it would be like an hour and a half before landing. The cat would be out of the bag and these terrorists would be taking over the plane. So for the most part, these folks would just be sitting in their seats and just letting the things proceed. It all kicked off way earlier because of that one bullet they found in the bathroom, right? It's true, but I thought they said they weren't supposed to start this until there were three hours left in the flight, which to me right. still seems like way more of a cushion than you need. True. You're right, because if it's three hours, then that basically would have been the beginning of this episode, where the ransom the rants was not actually delivered to, at the end of this episode, right? So it's it still right. seems, you're right, it seems like there's still too much going on. There's too much- I mean, I'm just going stuff. for efficiency in a hijacking right. plan. Like, you know, why make it any harder for yourself than you need to? Just do it at the last possible moment. Yeah, even delivering the uh, ransom, I, I mean, I guess maybe they accelerated the ransom delivery as well, given everything that's happening on the plane. Other hijackings I've heard of, either, you know, they're trying to use the plane as a weapon, as we famously right. know, or they want the plane to go somewhere else. But right. here, they want the plane to go where it's intended to go. So it, to me, I just feel like, why all this complication then? It's going where you need it to go, you know? This is my assumption here. I could be wrong. But that they want to have enough time to have the prisoners released before the plane touches down because yeah, the idea would be like, right. we need to have them before they touch okay. down or we crash the plane, right? So, the but the plane will be crashing, right. I would assume, like at the airport, for example. So, 
Okay. Or into the ocean or something like that. All right. Okay. That makes sense to me. Sorry. I'm not that familiar with hijacking logistics. (laughs) Me me neither. I'm just trying. I'm just rationalizing (laughs) it as well. But I I don't think it was supposed to kick off until pretty late into the flight. But you're right. It was like three hours, which still seems like too much time. Like they probably don't need. But maybe maybe they would need three hours to get these guys out and transport it to wherever they need to go. That's believable. That makes sense to me. And with that ransom delivery, we get to the final episode. Um, and this is where we kind of start seeing that there's a conspiracy here. There's like a, can you explain the conspiracy to me? I'm a little confused. These guys, the brothers, for example, their dad was a whistleblower within this conspiracy. They killed him. So he wasn't actually a kingpin or anything. He was simply another pawn that was being manipulated by this and then he tried to blow the whistle. They killed him. But now- I think there is some question about whether he was actually a snitch or not. Right. Uh, but I do think they thought he was a snitch, and that's the reason that they killed him. But then somebody does make a comment also that, no, they were wrong about that. He didn't do it. So I'm not sure objectively what is objectively true there. But yes, it seems to be that these people will kill you at the drop of a hat. To eliminate any problems whatsoever, It'll kill you and your family. And it's it, there's an interesting moment here where the Hawaiian shirt guy reveals that he was the murderer yes. of the brother's father. Yes. And they don't even have a resentment towards him because he basically said, hey, if I had said no, yeah. it seems to be a, a given among these people that if he had said no, that he would have been killed and uh, yes. they would just get someone else. They just blackmail somebody else into I mean, I think there was a flash of, are you effing kidding me? I think there was a little bit of resentment. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then they say that like they've sent ahead anybody who seemed like a problem, they sent ahead their information to whoever they're working with so that they could be ready to slaughter their family, I guess, as leverage. And we know that they were looking for Sam's house before, but they have the old address from, I mean, Sam has a great apartment. That seems like something that would be yes. updated as far as like Google wise, like he's settled yeah. into it. It doesn't look like he just left a week ago, which is what I thought when they had his old address, but whatever, bad recon work on their part, I guess, because, <laughs> um, or they are, maybe they were just concerned with where his family was living versus where he's living. I'm not sure, but I mean, either way, they have both addresses in the end, right? They had, didn't they? Or maybe they only had the new address. I think they only mm, had the new address because they did, You're yeah, right. they did ask. She, I actually thought, I suspected also the way they shot her in her house that they were there because it made it look like there was some Yes. Cameras. And when she was like, yes, that's his address. But right. and like, it seemed like right. she was saying like, but he doesn't live here anymore. So I think that right. was an assumption that I made, but it, it's right. a wrong assumption. Right. That was definitely a, a fake out. Uh, it, but yeah. in watching it today, it was confusing unnecessarily, I think. It doesn't really pay off either. Although, of course, we that cliffhanger this week is the fact that the son is in that apartment and they yes. seem to be about to find him. So I'm not sure where he's hiding. Yes. I assume he's not dead, I would assume, but uh, remains to be seen. So, yeah, I think the only uh, other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, we already kind of spoke about the cliffhanger, right, with the son in the apartment. I think maybe the only other thing, which you already previewed all the way towards the beginning of the conversation, is this cop, the boyfriend of uh, Idris's ex, is who's been incredibly adept this whole entire time, uh, very sharp this whole uh, up until yes. this point, just lets her, the doddering old lady, wander away because she's like, oh, can I get a tissue? There's a tissue box literally right in front of his face. He doesn't notice. And she just disappears for a while. And his partner comes in and goes, uh, where is she? He's like, oh, you know, she got upset. So I let her wander into the other room. And I've been just on my phone <laughs> since then. And I'm like, what? What, what is going on? <laughs> What's going on here? This guy's become completely inept all of a sudden. 
I mean, so listen, if he is some kind of corrupt cop, that works out nicely for a happily ever after for Idris Elba and his wife to reconcile. So there's that. But, um, other than that, like, I mean, he's been portrayed, right, as a solid guy who is trying to help his girlfriend figure out what's going on with her ex. And like, we see he has this relationship with his ex, right? And um yeah. And like he's working his connections and like he's doing his own independent investigation. And I mean, he seems like a stand up kind of guy. So there's really no explanation for, first of all, letting her get out the back door. But second, not being able to catch up with her like that just made no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And I just want to call out that his ex-girlfriend is played by Archie Finchavi, who was from The Good Wife. And I don't think you ever watched right. The Good Wife, but uh, yeah, she's excellent in that. Um and she's done other things since then, but probably nothing as high profile. But yeah, they're definitely making him to be a very responsible and clever cop here. And then, of course, making this stupid mistake here, but letting her wander off. Just the logistics of him running out the back door and like seeing her like turn the corner. And then we have that shot of her wandering into traffic with like a squad of police officers, like all like four of them probably running through the woods behind her. And like, how could they not be able to catch up with her? Like it exactly. literally is impossible. <laughs> She's only got like a one block advantage on them. And yeah, like, it doesn't make any sense. I did like, though, on the subject of those, that little family of characters, I did like that Sam's ex is just like wandering around shopping for high-end coats and macage while all of this is yes. going down <laughs> and not checking my, report, phone. my interview went very well today, so I'm going <laughs> to go and buy myself something. Yeah. <laughs> she does get the call with the phone number in it from uh sam and she does smartly uh, you know forward it to him at least yeah i do like the fact i was thinking about that myself but she's like i have this voicemail and he's like you need to send it to me and she's like i don't know how to do that and he's like i'll talk you through it but i was thinking the same thing i'm like how would i get that voicemail i don't know how to send a voicemail you know as a unless i had another phone i could record it onto the other phone and then i mean i know people use apps for actually recording interviews so i assume you could just install that app play the voicemail and basically it just plays like a recording so, but anyway regardless it's it's good that they are, she doesn't ignore the call or anything like that. Yes, it is. And I also was wondering the same thing and wondering, like, can you be on speakerphone and play the voicemail at the same right. time? Or maybe Apple allows you to fo to forward the voicemail. I've never tried, but I could see right. it allowing exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. And now they have one and a half hours till uh, touchdown. Um, do you have any kind of loose ends or mysteries that you're curious about here? I'll bring up one and then you can uh, add to that. The one is that there's this uh, character, the guy who rushed onto the plane last minute, helped smuggle the guns onto the plane, who has basically in like in every single shot is just standing there as they're conspiring against the crew. And he doesn't seem to be messaging anything to them or, or raising any, uh, yeah. you know. And yet is simply uh, there listening in on all these conversations. So I'm very curious how he's going to fit into it. It makes me wonder almost as if he is there monitoring on behalf of the the puppeteers rather than being part of this crew. Interesting I, I'm idea. I'm sure he'll tie in. I, I'm sure he'll t he'll uh, play into the finale in some way. But uh, he's basically just been sitting there the whole time. <laughs> but they definitely include him in like every single shot in the background, eavesdropping right. on all of the conversations. So I'm very curious that, you know, he hasn't played any part uh, aside from that early moment. I am very curious about how they've all just resigned themselves that Sam is just going to wander this plane and insert himself <laughs> yes. into situations, regardless of whether they threaten him or not. They all kind of seem to just be like, 
this is just what life is now. We we work with him sometimes and um, they're not that upset when he just, you know, pops up in the cockpit to listen to this woman speak Hungarian to the air traffic controller. That to me is something that I don't really get. Not really a plot thing, but I think it's interesting. Something we haven't talked about is this. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember her actual title, but the blonde political woman, the government official that's blonde. Um, I think there's just like an interesting little commentary going there about it seems like nobody, as you were saying, nobody wants to get involved in this. There's a good chance it's not going to end well. And so they're kind of just like leaving her out to dry. Yes. And, you know, maybe she will come out with a victory, but if not, she's just going to be on her way after this implodes. I think that's kind of just an interesting idea that they've introduced. They're setting her up to take a possible fall. In British television, by the way, all these mostly spy shows, but I guess in these kind of conspiratorial shows in general, there's always a character like that. Like also on Apple TV, uh, if anybody watches the show Slow Horses, which is a spy show on there. And basically that is what it is. Like these bureaucrats that are usually wrong about whatever spy work they're doing. And when something really serious happens, everybody mobilizes to find like a fall guy and cover their own asses. And no one tries to uh, solve the crime except for like the lowly people who are mm-hmm. probably going to take the fall for it, who are staked in like not getting caught up. But everybody higher up is just like, how do I not make this look bad <laughs> on me and look for somebody to pin this on if things go wrong? So so seeing this, it's just like, it's just another British trope in all those shows that there's always this bureaucratic nightmare <laughs> of, uh, you know, I guess there's some commentary there in how Brits don't really trust their <laughs> bureaucrats at all. I also think it's a funny running gag of like how they've set up their command center in this random spot and everyone keeps saying like, why are you there? And they just keep saying, this is where we were when it all started. And so now this is where we'll stay. I thought that was kind of like a cute little running theme. They're also very short on time now, I guess, right? To be able to um, change venues. At this to point. move, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got the countdown clock up. They've pointed out, right? That's yeah. so helpfully they can see the countdown clock. <laughs> like, thanks for disturbingly putting that up for us. But I guess, yes. you know, we're down to the last hour and a half. You really do need to look at those. You minutes. do need it. Yeah. I didn't really talk about the main thrust of this episode, which is that they were able to save the little brother by putting this uh, breathing tube in. Oh, yes. I need to talk about that. Yes, go ahead. Very clever that he says, I know the doctor said that your brother's stable, but he actually told me that he has less than an hour to live. And then the way that they message it to the doctor, which I think is very efficient. I like that. But, you know, they yes. didn't even give him context. They're like, the answer to the question yes. is less than one yes. hour. <laughs> and the doctor's just like, what? And then, of yes. course, he gets a question and he answers appropriately, which I thought was very good. But, of course, then the brother actually is dying. So that it was actually a correct assessment that he didn't have all that time to live because he was bleeding out. He took the ballpoint pen out of himself, right? Out of right. his chest himself. But the defense that nobody else did it and murdered him was the ballpoint pen is in his hand. Look, right. yes, no one could possibly have taken it out. <laughs> Who could have taken it out it and put it in his hand? In his hand, right? Impossible. Like that's not the proof that this was right. a self-willed occurrence here. So I just thought that was funny that that was like accepted by everyone. Well, that resolves <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> um, sure. That was kind of one of the things that made me concerned about how they really are going to bring this all to a satisfying conclusion, because things like that to me are not super satisfying. I I assume this is going to be a conversation that plays out in the next couple episodes. 
once the plane lands, nobody on that plane's family or even then themselves are safe necessarily given the way this conspiracy is. So I just find it very interesting that now they're kind of on the same side, right? These you know, hijackers, their lives and their families' lives are at risk as is Sam's. So in some ways, it's almost like now, let's say that there is somebody on the plane, some of these members of this squad that are monitoring their behavior, right? And feeding back to, it's almost like now the passengers and the hijackers could align themselves against those people, right? To have a different outcome. So I think that's interesting. It's really changed the dynamic on the plane all of a sudden. I mean, not at this moment, but it's introduced that pivot point, which I think is going to be interesting in the next couple of episodes. And that's why I'm interested to see how this end game plays out. I had assumed early on with some of the clues that they were part of this conspiracy, but they're not, right? They're probably just being blackmailed into being the puppets for these folks. So now everybody's in the same boat in a way, right? And they're increase the stakes in some way here and they've made the the resolution more complicated and that could be harder to land the plane like you said given the fact that now they've kind of increased the difficulty of it but uh i'm very intrigued to see where they go next they have definitely laid the groundwork for something that could be really interesting i'm just hoping it is that um which i think it might be i haven't foreclosed that i feel like it could go either way right now right Oh, I want to bring up one thing, which is a bestseller from a couple of years ago that I read that made me think about this, that the series reminded me of that I'll make as a recommendation here. I believe they're making this into a movie. So people who prefer watching movies than reading, which seems to be everybody nowadays, even me, because it's hard for me to read anything. But it's a book called The Chain. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't. The story of it is that someone's child gets kidnapped and they get blackmailed to release the child. And over the course of the novel, and this is not much of a spoiler, I think it's the premise of the show, of the novel, the investigation by the parent who's lost a child and is trying to unravel this and comply at the same time is that the kidnappers were basically people who also had their child kidnapped. So there's a chain in which people Mm. need to either comply or they need to, you know, so they have to pay a ransom and yet they also need to then comply in kidnapping somebody else. So now they become complicit. So then, of course, they would never turn on the blackmailers. uh, And they don't even know who the blackmailers are because it's just someone else in this chain. So it just reminded me of the plot of the show at this point. It's like a complicated version of The Ring. Yes, in a way. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Although it's all just perpetuated by analog (laughs) perpetuation of it. But an interesting um, premise for the book. The book's not perfect, but it is a very intriguing premise. Hmm. Check that out if that sounds interesting ask you about the one thing totally off topic but speaking of apple tv plus one other thing that i did watch on the plane also that i downloaded because apple tv conveniently allows for downloads i also downloaded a whole bunch of stuff on hbo max by the way and of course now it's max and when i got to europe and i turned on my max app it said this service is not available in this territory so Uh i had downloaded all the content but couldn't watch it but luckily apple tv plus is global and i was able to download and watch stuff on there But I, of course, finally, uh, maybe two or three weeks late, saw the finale of Platonic. Did you finish Platonic? I did finish it, yes. How satisfied were you with the finale? You know, I feel like this show kind of shifted gears halfway through. I feel like it was more like a zany buddy comedy for the first few episodes Mm -hmm. and then became more midlife crisis focused, which I'm into as well. I appreciate (laughs) that. We've seen many of those shows this year. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really my zone, really. So um, <laughs> so I enjoyed it. 
in the last few episodes, it's kind of like, now I kind of feel like it's neither a zany buddy comedy or a midlife crisis right. show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like confused by that. So given that like I was not thrilled with maybe the penultimate episode or the episode before that, I actually felt like this was a solid way to close it. I, I completely agree. I think the first six episodes I just loved. I would, and anybody right. out there who wants to binge the show, the first six episodes are absolutely bingeable, absolutely hilarious. And I oftentimes recommend comedies on this podcast. And for me, a, pod, a comedy where I just smirk here and there. I'm like, oh, that's clever. That's how I appreciate most comedies. I laughed out loud Same. multiple times per episode when I was watching the show, uh, especially in those earlier episodes. I feel like then it tried to turn into something. They really couldn't, didn't know how to resolve it. I kind of felt the same way about Shrinking, also another Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. show that was very funny oftentimes. And then when it was trying to kind of thematically coalesce at the end, it was less interesting to me. I did like the finale. I did like how they basically have these characters kind of moving on from this relationship, yes. kind of getting through this midlife crisis and then moving on to another phase in their lives. And I thought I really liked that. I would say that but one total clunker moment is when they're trying to like play back highlights from the episode where, you know, when there's music playing on the soundtrack, like that whole thing. And I'm like, ooh, like the flashback sequence. It really seemed like the show was struggling to come together there at the end. Another thing I'd say is hugely disappointing is they, in the finale, have this stay tuned after the episode for the blooper reel. This is not a good blooper reel. Like I didn't laugh once. Oh my gosh, I missed it. I totally missed that. Definitely go back and and watch it because I maybe smirked once. I think the funniest thing that happens in Blooper Reel is when Seth Rogen like improvises just throwing a beer in uh, Rosebird's direction and basically hits her in the head accidentally with the beer. She's like <laughs> not ready for it at all. That That is probably the funniest thing that happens in the Blooper Reel. Everything else, I'm like, for a show that really made me laugh out loud so many times, I figured they would have so many yeah. uh, zany moments or just improvised scenes that didn't make it into the cut. And it's not there. Like I was like, wow, what a disappointing blooper reel. But but I did like the final episode. I have the exact same opinion of it. The last couple episodes before that didn't really work for me. And then, um, you know, still had funny moments though, you know, and they, they weren't terrible. Yeah, no, I agree. Not, not up to the quality of the rest of the show. But yeah, those first six episodes when they were just like kind of goofing around and getting in yeah, trouble, golden. so fun and hilarious, just so great. You know what I think I didn't like about it? Okay, first of all, it felt to me in the finale that maybe they had like barely kept in touch since yeah. since he moved to San Diego. And that bothered me because I felt like they had reestablished a solid connection so that they would be keeping in touch in a, like not necessarily as if they still lived in the same city, but more like, like she seemed surprised that he had brought a date to that right. wedding. So, so that was disappointing to me on like a character level of like, that's not what I thought would happen to these characters. And I also, I think, didn't like the idea that she says, like, when we get together, it's too chaotic or whatever term she used. I think we all in middle age could use more of that chaotic zaniness. Like, yeah, maybe not doing PCP by accident. Okay. But, you know, (laughs) like we can like still go out and be silly and have fun. And I felt like she was somehow saying that was not acceptable at this stage in their lives. And I didn't love that message. Yeah. I agree with that too. Like where the show's trying to make a point, you see how her friend who, you know, they seem very simpatico has now, you know, fall in love with and is now 
dating another investor in this bar. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, she seemed to like reconnect with something a little more uh, liberated, uh, you know, late in her life. And exactly correctly, the, the idea that it, there seems to be a, a lot of pleasure that she's getting, Rose Byrne's character is getting in reconnecting with this part of her younger self. And that the show has this maybe a conservative point of view, unintentionally probably, that, well, you know, well, that's a bad influence. And it's like, there seems to be a way, especially since he now is kind of moving on to another chapter in her life, where I guess if the show comes back for season two, they could have a more constructive friendship. But it is strange that they're trying to paint this as like a negative between the two of them. And it's like, why? Uh, you know, other than... <laughs> <laughs> the accidental drug use, yes. But other than that, you know, most of the stuff they did was um, and sabotaging her career. But other than that, the, the, most than of the that. stuff is pretty innocuous. I mean, she started that train into motion, though, by yes, ruining yes. the painting. I, I think what I'm struggling with is like so much of a midlife crisis is about a wondering a person wondering what happened to that part of myself. Does it still exist? Do I have to say goodbye to it because I have kids or I have bills to pay? I have a mortgage or I think that reconciliation is a lot of what the crisis is. And I don't like a resolution that's like, yes, that part of yourself should stay gone. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what I want for myself anyway, even though maybe other people decide differently. And I mean, I'm not saying like, go abandon your kids for a week or whatever. Now this is like shades of Fleischman is in trouble, but um, right. we you can go out and be a little bit silly and a little bit stupid and a little bit irresponsible and still take care of your kids and be a great parent and pay the mortgage. Like those are not mutually exclusive. There's absolutely no reason that she can't have a job and hang out with her kids and then cut loose and have this yeah. relationship. It, it just doesn't make, I, I agree that it's a little. So I think that's what was most disappointing to me about it. Uh, and But I do think that the show is trying to say that now they have basically come to terms with their own midlife crises uh, and you know that maybe they can now have a constructive friendship. So I do think that that is maybe what the show is trying to indicate there at the end. Uh, and like so. I said, it, and, and in general, I think that that, worked you know like there was it's kind of sweet to see them kind of have this moment at the end where she kind of recognizes him moving on and having this uh, new relationship and this new life and being successful and she's happy for him right and i think that that's kind of and, and she's also found this new thing that she's good at too yeah i think they did try and keep it alive by her saying like but what i really have to tell you is we saw a ufo Right. So <laughs> right, right. I think they were trying to indicate that that's not totally dead, but I don't feel like for me personally, I didn't feel it was enough. Yeah. And like, uh, honestly, the, the lighter the show was, the more successful I think it was. So I think that's true. Yeah. So I think that is a lot of content for this week. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's talk about Bluey. We'll talk yes. about the many moments of emotion and you saw the new he- ones. Yeah. I just finished catching. I watched all of Yikes. them with Charlotte yesterday, so we saw all of them. Yikes! Most of the, I mean, it's a specific episode you're t- thinking of, right? There's one that I, there's a few existential really a few. themes. There. <laughs> yes, are we all just puppets? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a deeper one. But uh, yeah, like you know, are we all puppets uh, in the end, right? And of course, the meta. A narrative. Oh my gosh. The fact that, you know, we're watching this cartoon, of course, we literally see the animation of it at the so end. So crazy to see that. The separation anxiety of the other one. Oh, yes. When they go through the tunnel. Yeah. And, she and really then, of course, the infertility of one. And oh. yes. 
I mean, all around, set aside some time to process if you're going to watch these. <laughs> the show has become more and more about the parents <laughs> or the, the crises of the parents, right? Even if metaphorically it's played out through the kids, it's really about the crisis that you have as a parent. I mean, I definitely feel like it's more explicit than it used to be. Yes, I agree. Yeah, It was always there on some level, but you had yeah. to be looking for it a little bit more. Here, it's just yeah. in your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, which I think is my criticism of it. I mean, I would say that I think season three is my least favorite of the three. It's still exceptional, especially for children's entertainment. But what I loved about season one and season two is that there is like, when you look at it, it's just like them playing games. But then when you really think about what they're saying, they're yeah. like, wow, they're saying something very deep. And now it's yeah. like, they're just hitting you in the face with the thing that they're saying, <laughs> which yes. uh, still, I mean, I'm like sitting there going like, I understand what you're telling me. I feel it every day, <laughs> yeah. but it's a little overt in a way that I think I, I understand kind of the magic, the magic of it was in how subtle it was kind of earlier on. Yeah, I get that. I totally see that. But we will have our top five episodes and bring a few alternates, by the way, in case, uh, I will. you know, if, uh, you know, cause we might have a lot, I think we have a lot of overlap, I would assume in the top see, five. And I think we're not going to have a lot of overlap. Oh, so interesting. I can't I'm wait to see. Actually. To that, see. I think yeah. that'll be interesting for the conversation for sure. Yeah. And then by the way, I, there's a couple, I'd say a couple that really don't work for me at all. And so if you have like, kind of like, I don't get this one, uh, definitely bring those two because we can talk about some of the. Yeah, Although, I mean, I, I think those I are have a couple. few and far between because most of the time this thing is an incredible achievement. I think. In Agree. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> One of the best things on television by far. Truly, for anybody to watch. Absolutely, completely agree. All right, so we'll talk about Bluey. We'll talk about the next episode of Hijack, which I'm very much looking forward to, and it's only a couple of days away actually. So maybe we record Thursday or Friday, something like that. Cool. All right. Thank you again for the conversation. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. And welcome home. Oh, thank you.